Toya Moore. Everyone's an artist. Or maybe you just attract artist, like an artistic creative crowd. Which makes sense. We are in Brooklyn. And we are wearing many hats. It's Rashad, and this is Wear Many Hats, presented by Jasar, where we talk about your main gig, then we talk about your side hustle. Talia is someone who I met through the grapevine of Brooklyn Friends. Shout out to professional soccer player, Demetrius Umfoy. Talia is a damn good soccer player as well. She's worked on the Michael Vick 30 for 30 documentary on ESPN. Talia is a producer at The Counter and is also a part of Central Brooklyn Food Cooperative. Give it up for Talia Moore. How's it going? Going all right. We're all out and about, but you know, we chilling. Do you usually go out on the weekends to like your co-op or just getting like fruits and vegetables at the park? Usually I get my vegetables during the week. I get a CSA, which is a community supported agriculture Mm -hmm. from Brooklyn Packers. Nice. So my roommate and I like get that every other week. I used to get all my fruits and veggies at a park in Greenpoint and then if I'm in the city I would go to Union Square. I love the Union Square market. It's so good right? Mm -hmm. I love that it's like uh, across the street from Whole Foods like a big fuck you you know? Yeah. But it's really nice. I don't really miss Union Square though. Me either. (laughs) Like absolutely not. Do you ever go in the city sometimes? Yeah I'm probably I'm lucky that I have people in my pod that have cars (laughs) (laughs) and I don't drive so I'm just like yeah let's drive here cue up the music and the directions they have cars like they live in Brooklyn and then when they're bored they just drive in the city that'd be nice yeah like my roommate has a car I have a good friend that has a car they're in Brooklyn and then uh my girlfriend has a lives uptown so we drive a lot back and forth. That's great. That's good to hear someone that has like a car that lives in New York. Because you're from the West Coast mm-hmm. and all we do is drive cars. Where are you from? I'm from San Francisco. I didn't grow up driving. I also was on public transportation all the time or like getting rides. I'm a passenger seat phenomenon. Oh, so you control the aux cord? Usually, yeah. At all times? At all times. What are you currently listening to right now? I've been listening to a lot of like or and making a lot of like experimental playlists with jazz to I've been listening to a lot of Sun Ra and Alice Coltrane lately. Oh nice. Yeah. And just kind of whatever mood dependent sounds. Lots of soul lately in Motown. That's great. Everyone currently right now is making playlists at home and sending into they're booze, they're just like putting them online. I've been finding myself like, I love podcasts and like have made one and am in that world, but I've been finding it really hard to like focus and listen to podcasts lately. The, like audiobook ride, kind of escape more than 
talk about everyday shit or news that's like fogging my brain all the time when you were working on your podcasts what was your take from all of it it's a lot of work to think about like one what platform not platform but like how you're setting up your show is it a host conversation Mm -hmm. is it like reported storytelling and then how do you incorporate guests and different things and I feel like for people starting out that just want to like create and talk with their people about things it's a really great outlet to get creative and like you know not really give a shit about how people receive the show and just Mm kind of like do what you want yeah of course so you're all around producer and you're currently at the counter and you produce videos for the counter what's your process I'm producing videos story like written stories I do like data visualization and illustration and stuff like that I would say for the video process a lot of what we haven't done like any from scratch video reporting since the or we've done one like since the pandemic hit because we're not like I'm not out in the field every day so a lot of it is taking written news stories that we already have and like turning it into a explainer video or like something that's digestible in under five minutes for an audience that might not necessarily read thousand word story you know getting the point across right away usually my coworker and I start out with the script um, and we go back and forth trying to figure out what sounds best you know like something that you're writing is not necessarily going to translate to voiceover audio no um so I think that's the biggest process of figuring out how the hell we're going to tell this story for video. And then my favorite part is like putting it all together and finding clips that convey the narrative for folks, you know? Let's bring it back. What is The Counter? The Counter is a online news publication. We cover how and what America eats. I've been there for about like a year and some change. It's crazy time to be in news every day like never getting a break yeah you guys are putting out fast articles left and right all the time always having to talk about trump and biden and politics politics in like the frame of this country's system but i think my favorite part of our beats would be like the culture side of food, like hearing personal essays. We did a whole series called Eating In that looked at different people's coping mechanisms with eating food and things that they miss and different storytelling for food. And I wrote one for that in the summer. What did you write about? I mean, it was a little intense. I was writing about using cooking as a labor of love to deal with like the two epidemics facing the black community from the coronavirus to police brutality and things like that. And all the injustices that this country is dealing us every day. Oh yeah. But it was, yeah, it took me a while to write it too. I was talking about how I've been cooking in memory of my cousin who I lost to suicide in 2019. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was the first time I was actually like putting those feelings out on paper, you know, for the whole world to see. Yeah. Oh, I'm familiar. And yeah. I'm definitely looking at that. I mean, yo, the counter is, it's weird because now every time I go on the Twitter, like the counter is just always open on the side that it's just like, it's blasted. So the counter is pretty big. It, it used to just be a small food thing. And now it's just like branched out into this giant media company. Yeah. I mean, we're still pretty small. It's only like, 15 of us but it's exciting to see like that arc or like how our 
COVID coverage has like really expanded the world's like eyes on us. Mm -hmm. It feels good to be a part of something that is continuing to tell true stories. Yeah, the true stories and the personal stories, it's gathering from all of us. I remember when I read that you were taking submissions and I wanted to submit my story and I was cooking in the pandemic, (laughs) cooking. And then I had to save, I wanted to be one of those people that were saving the restaurant. So I ordered out all the time. And then I realized, yeah. yo, my pockets. Yeah. Pockets. But And also like, how can we save? Like you as one person. Exactly. It's not possible. Dude, and I'm like wondering, what am I getting? <laughs> ordering, you know? It's yeah. just like, I just found out that the pho place that I've been ordering from in, in Brooklyn, I, I guess that they're making so much money from everyone that's like ordering that they're opening up another location in the city. So this is like a whole spinoff of like, you know, when people are just like trying to survive and like, it's kind of bizarre. It's full survival mode, you know? I did a um, photo essay for the counter at the end of Uh, last year with a photographer out in LA and we were documenting the different states of restaurants in December and like LA was complete opposite of what dining looked like in New York right like in December we still had indoor dining and outdoor dining and like have to deal with winter weather something that like LA doesn't even have to think about as seriously so it's really crazy to see like the contrast of like the igloo dining or the bubbles, the giant plastic bubbles and like greenhouses. Little gingerbread houses, I know. <laughs> Versus like only takeout in LA. That's wild. Yeah. And it's wild that like you see all these houses that look like, you know, sheds from the suburbs that are mm-hmm. just like, expanding. I mean, in the city, in Manhattan, they're just expanding. They're crazy. I heard that in Astoria, there is a restaurant that has um, a re- an outdoor dining experience that is two floors. Isn't that basically a restaurant? (laughs) Yeah, and the other thing is like, even though it's becoming like normalized, these outdoor setups, like the majority of restaurants can't afford to create these giant things that can get blown down or whatever. Do you think that the organizations that are trying to save these restaurants are like kind of tired of saying the same thing? They're trying to save these restaurants from the beginning of this whole craziness, but it's it feels like there hasn't been any progress being made. They're just kind of tired at this point. Yeah, or like there's walls that keep popping up or like barriers that are making it like always hard to kind of know what's next or how to pivot. What I miss the most besides indoor dining is going to shows. Mm -hmm. Like what was the last show that- Oh my God. Your last concert? I don't even remember. (laughs) It might've been Afropunk 2019, like outdoor festival. And that was a while ago. I also can't, do you remember the last movie you went to? The last movie I went to was to go see Parasite again okay. i wish i saw that in theaters it was good <laughs> so it's good in the house definitely good in the house too as well yeah i, I saw parasite twice in movie theaters i miss the theaters miss a lot of things i miss a lot of things it's what you do miss the most is do you do you miss playing soccer yeah i had surgery at the end of 2019 mm-hmm. and so right as like march was hitting and it was the recovery period was finally opening for me to go and like do rehab and start exercising. I wasn't really supposed to do anything, you know, and that was really hard to like completely have my body be dormant and not moving. 
so when the shutdown hit I was like wow this fucking sucks I'm finally like on the men recovering and I can't even like do anything and I was really discouraged by that definitely discouraging what keeps you in check since team sports is missed dearly right now how do you stay active in the beginning of pandemic it was a lot of like instagram workouts my roommate was so into them and i was like okay let's try this and that shit was so hard and kind of goofy Mm. because we were doing it together it was like that kind of team camaraderie motivation but then once i moved out of that apartment i kind of didn't keep up with that Mm. i have a track where outside of where i am now so like run the track go on lots of walks just kind of do like movement in the house i did see all your instagram stories of you on the roof lots of dancing a lot of dancing it's sad because or it's not sad but dancing was like not only like a physical escape but also like a mental escape Mm -hmm. and i was like this is gonna keep me going each day of only being stuck inside all the time and then it got maybe it was like this summer and i was so over it i was like this is not lucrative to keep me going and i was like fuck this And I got kind of like out of like checked out of like wanting to be active, which sucks for someone who's like been active my whole life, you know, that's kind of what the like reality of our livelihood right now, like put me in a place where I didn't have the drive to do the things that I love doing every day, you know. Along with the counter, you're also at the Central Brooklyn Food Co-op. We'll put you on a CBFC. Back in college, I was doing an independent like social science intensive research project, basically exploring how hard it is to exist as a black co-op essentially in America. And I like through independent research came across the co-op online and that was back in 2017. And I was like, this is really dope. And so I started going to meetings, like started off as using the co-op as a case study into a project for school that didn't really mean anything to me. And then realized that, oh no, this is part of my like passion and movement work that I want to continue Mm -hmm. to be a part of afterwards. And then also like moving to New York from the Bay, there's a lot of organizing groups back home and I needed to like find my organizing space in Brooklyn. And it felt like a really great fit collaborating with multi-generational organizers as well as centering like food sovereignty Mm -hmm. and yeah so I've been doing that ever since and 2020 was a really active year for us even though it was mostly behind zoom which is dope are you still out and about campaigning a lot of people are still doing things outside actively in parks on the sidewalks having all types of different activities just to promote themselves. Are you guys still doing that? Yeah, I would say we definitely downsized a little bit from doing outdoor stuff. There's a emergency food distribution campaign called Hold Down BK mm-hmm. that happened, was happening weekly and now it's transitioned. I wasn't able to be out there every week since I was working and couldn't take off work all the time. But we've done a lot of other things. I worked with a couple folks to create an entire like political education study group that we did through the summer online, which was really great. Talking about like the legacy of black co-ops. We talked about black labor and criminalization and the um, carceral state. Mm -hmm. And yeah, in the fall, there were a couple things that we did 
like we had a social distanced mini orientation from folks that we were distributing food to to try to get those people to join the co-op but yeah I would say that I'm not out and about as often as we were kind of flyering and canvassing but we're hoping to start that up again as this like routine is a little more maybe comfortable for people or like not everyone can partake in doing in-person things but for those that are able we are trying to get back out there i love that cbfc and the counter they're working in primarily food and in politics as well did you ever think that it was magical that they somehow linked up together yeah it's interesting i mean like in the world of journalism like the counter is a non-partisan organization but like making sure like my politics of being like a black woman in america like there's so many things that aren't like it's everything becomes political to the point where my being or like the things that I care about are not swaying towards like a political leaning, but it's more about like accessibility of being able to eat in this country, you know, and like, uh-huh. it is a hard thing to navigate. But I also know that I'm an organizer first, and you can still be a community organizer and storyteller that kind of touches kind of paths yeah so when you're working on the michael vick's 30 for 30 documentary on espn do you miss producing documentaries in general yeah i mean that was like very early stage of my time in the film world i was just a little like production assistant working on that but it was such a dope opportunity and yeah i miss I miss film dearly. I feel like the other day I watched like two documentaries in a row and it was just like, oh my God, I miss this world. Yeah. And like, we're doing film stuff. Like I do film like very short, like under 10 minutes or less stuff for work, but it's not like the same scope yeah. of a feature like film. Um, but it's also pretty cool that I have a lot of autonomy in being in such a small publication that like, in terms of calling the shots or like really creating the story arc, um, there's a lot of room for me to grow and explore there. Right before the shutdown, my co-producer and I were actually like interviewing chefs and uh, food business owners about the future of restaurants, which was super ironic or and really devastating to think about how hard it was then before all this shit happened Mm. um but yeah i'm excited to see what's what my future holds in film i have another doc that i worked on back in 2019 just premiered on netflix too Um, and it's on the crack epidemic i haven't even i haven't watched it in post yet um but it's cool to that it's finally out there in another early stage of my production assistant days. Definitely. I can see you definitely producing more like food documentaries. Yeah, we'll see. I was on a Anthony Bourdain binge and then I've been thinking about the possibilities of what I want to create and talk about. In the food world or just in general? In the food world and, and beyond, like mm. the art world too. Mm-hmm like arts and culture. I think that's the one thing that 
I'm missing right now or like my world is so food, food, food all the time that I am still an artist at the end of the day. And there's like that bit of creativity that kind of gets stripped sometimes or like I'm only making graphic design work <laughs> related to food all the time. And so I've been doing a lot of collaging lately. Oh, nice. Which has been super therapeutic. Usually I do my collage work digitally, but I've been exploring paper collage work that I then scan and then do like multi with mm -hmm. the analog stuff, which has been cool. A lot of my digital stuff has a lot of archival photos some that are like family photos, but as well as just like black archives that I can find online. It's kind of cool to know that I just found out that Demi is also an artist. So I'm beginning to think that all of my friends are secretly artists. I feel like most people are artists, even if they don't want to claim it or artistic. Not everyone, but. So I'm just now assuming that everyone's got that secret talent. I don't consider myself an artist, but I'm can't draw for shit, but I'm finding out that everyone's got this secret talent. in artist talent. So you heard it first. <laughs> Tell you more. Everyone's an artist. Or maybe you just attract artistic, like an artistic creative crowd, which makes sense. We are in Brooklyn. And we are wearing many hats. <laughs> So Tally, if you were to get a chest tattoo quote in Old English, what would it be? In Old, oh, like the font is Old English. Yeah. I should probably clarify that more because everyone's like, wait, you mean a, a 40? Like... It would be, I think it would be freedom. Nice. I was like thinking about like really raunchy or racy things that it could say. Oh, wow. But I just don't think that I would want it to be my chest tattoo. <laughs> like maybe somewhere else like a thigh tat you know oh yeah of course like fuck bitches get money or something like that but keep it keep it classy or futuristic on the chest i like that freedom so plug your socials where can people find you on ig it's tamore t-a-a-m-o-o-o-r-e my middle name is A. That's why there's two A's. <laughs> My middle name is Adele. It's not A. Um, and then on Twitter, it's Paul underscore more. And that's me. That's awesome. Natalia, thank you for getting on Wear Many Hats. It was great to have you. Thanks for having me. It was a blast. Till next time, this is Wear Many Hats presented by Just Star with your host, Rashad. We out. Bye.